Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Stories with Bree. I am super excited. I have a fellow Black librarian here with me, Miss Tracy Randolph, and I'm going to give her a couple moments to introduce herself. Miss Tracy, please tell the people what you do and where and where you're currently located. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Tracy Randolph, as Bree mentioned, and I am a librarian in Upland, California, where I serve as the Assistant Library Director. And I have been working here for the past six months. Um, and I do a lot of administrative duties. Um, I also do programming, work the floor, and really enjoy my job. Awesome, awesome. Super excited to get the opportunity to talk with you. I'm so glad that you accepted my invite. I was like, yes. People are finally because we're in the Facebook group and I was like, I'm going to send this invite out again to see if somebody bites. And I was so happy that you were one of the few people who said, yeah, I'd love to be on the show. And I was like, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I think everybody's kind of a little hesitant. They're waiting to just see as things go on and then mm -hmm. see if they want to do it, which is fine with me. I, you know, when you, uh, what to say, beggars can't be choosy. <laughs> That's true. Yes, true. Yes. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And, um, you know, I have been in the field a long time. And I, I'm like, well, you know, it's time to share with other people, you know, some of the experiences that I've had working in the library field for 20 plus years. Uh, so thanks again for allowing me to come and being in your podcast. Yes, and thank you for being here because that is really essentially part of the goal of this podcast is really to share that, hey, there are, you know, people I like to call us people of the global majority. There are mm -hmm. people of color in the field of librarianship that have been librarians for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Let's hear their voices. Let get, let's try to figure out how we can advocate to get more people that look like us into the field. And this is my way of doing that is sharing our stories and getting the opportunity to say like, this is a possibility. There's a vast amount of, of experience and array here in the mm -hmm. library world. So come on over and join us. So wow. I like to... Um, Right. So I like to start the, the podcast off with some icebreakers just to kind of like get to know everyone and see what their thoughts are. So if you can remember, what was your favorite childhood book? Hmm. I would probably say, okay, and I'm going to sound like a total nerd. <laughs> um, honestly, the whole line, the witch in the wardrobe series, I just have to go there. Okay. okay. The whole set as a birthday present. I still have the set, the box set. Um, some of the pages are falling out, um, but I would say that would probably be my my favorite childhood book slash series. That's okay. Ain't nothing <laughs> wrong with it, and ain't nothing wrong with being a nerd. We love nerds here. <laughs> I mean, like all librarians have to be a little nerdy in some kind of way, be sort of for us to help other people. Um, that's a first that uh, that that series was mentioned. And the author is um, I don't want to get us on. Yes. C.S. Lewis. I'm like, it's right here at the tip, <laughs> right at the tip of my tongue. Yes, C.S. Lewis. Um, mm -hmm. And he has some good literature. So yes. I agree. And the movie adaptations were kind of good as well. Yeah, you know, but you know, know. nothing's better than the book ever. It's, it's always a wonky situation where you're going from a text to movie big screen. Because on big screen, they're trying to like get the full effect and, and you know, it's creative licensing. So it's never quite exactly like how the story was told in the book, which is okay. 
Um, so you work at a library, but I wanted to know, do you have library cards? Do you have a library card? And if so, how many? Oh my gosh, you would think, um, and I was just having a conversation with a coworker because I just returned from New Orleans and I went to the New Orleans Public Library, which was amazing. And um, I do have a library card um, from my home library, Riverside City County Public Library System. Um, and, but I don't have a lot of cards. I would say I probably have maybe 10 from as many libraries that I visited. I have not always been able to get a card. Um, so I really don't have a lot, which is kind of shameful for as many places as I've visited and conferences that I've been to. Um, you know, it's always on my radar to go get one, but this time I made sure I had to go get one from the New Orleans Public Library. Listen, you a woman after my own heart, because most people <laughs> come on here and they like, oh, I might got one, maybe I have two. Some people every now and then you say, they say, I don't have a card. But then oh, you no. say, when you say 10, I'm like, yes, she in the okay. same field as me. <laughs> I don't look like I'm doing too much because I got so many library cards. Yeah. Um, I, I collect them as well. I, I love having access to different um, resources yeah. and stuff. And a lot of people don't know that you can actually get library cards from different um, branches and from different states. Um, right. A lot of states do have like friends of the library or programs, or they just offer um, because they believe in getting access to information. They allow you to get a card with them, even if you live out of state. And a lot of people don't know that. New Orleans is now being added to the list because we <laughs> I did not know that you can do it in New Orleans. I, I was told Chicago, I mean, not Chicago, I was told California, New York, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. I, was, and I added St. Louis to the list. Now I can add New Orleans to the list. So that's- Ironically, when I was there, I asked about a card and of course they charged the out of state fee, mm -hmm. but- I told the library clerk, I go, oh, well, you know, the librarian visiting from California. And he said, well, you know, you can just go online and register for one. You can access all our resources. And so he gave me actually just a blank card. Okay. Um, so I just need to go online and actually register as an official card holder. But I do have the actual card. Okay, awesome, awesome. That's good to know. But then, you know, I'm going to probably, maybe that's a good idea to compile a list of um, libraries across the country where you can go to get a library card and you don't mm -hmm. have access. You can be an out-of-state resident. That's a good idea. Note to self, I'm going to remind <laughs> myself to do that later. Um, so are you a digital or pen and paper type of girl? Uh, digital. I, I like eliminate all paper. I just do. I mean, you know, I have an iPhone, iPad, laptop. I, I am totally, totally digital. Yes, totally. Me, me, me as well. And I am, I told them my notes app get much love, much love. My notes app gets a whole lot of love. So I am, I'm with you. I'm more of a digital person when I, it comes to like writing my thoughts down and stuff. Every now and then pen and paper comes in because it's just something cathartic about being able to physically write things down. But mm -hmm. for the most part, completely digital. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I get it, I get it. And so if you, can, um, if you can decide or can choose, who's your favorite author or writer? Okay, I'm gonna try and not be biased, okay. but like, probably Langston Hughes. Okay. Um, my son, I named my son Langston, so. <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I just really enjoy um, the Harlem Renaissance time period in general. Um, but the writing is just, you know, even though he was a poet, um, I, I don't know, he's just always been my go-to um, author. Um, Toni Morrison is probably my second favorite. Okay. And um, so I think those two really, I mean, even now rereading um, a lot of Toni Morrison is just so relevant to me. And um, so I have not a different perspective from reading them as a younger person, mm-hmm. but now as, as an adult, um, I don't know, they just mean more to me, the content does. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Langston Hughes is also one of my favorite poets. Um, I too is one of my favorite poems by him. Uh, mm-hmm. he, his writing, I feel like he did a really good job of kind of constructing or deconstructing his humanity in a way that that really helped us to see what was going on and his thoughts and his processes I know a lot of people like to kind of like shy away from poetry because it's, oh, you yeah. feel like it's a higher thought process and you have to really think about what the words are saying and sometimes that's not always the case sometimes the words are just simply whatever it is that they mean sometimes right. there is a deeper thought or interpretation but sometimes it is just what it means and I feel like for Langston Hughes a lot of his words were whatever you see on the paper this is what I mean this is what's happening this is what's going on and a lot of his um his his stag you know his um his stanzas and things of that nature were simply him kind of like trains of thought almost and I think that's why I kind of like it because it was it's very like personal and intimate for me yeah yeah and 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 even I've noticed more marketing campaigns have been using his poetry, which I just really think is just awesome to see. And um, so, so I have a, a nice collection of his books. Okay. Um, and I would love to do a library program just about that time period and other Harlem Renaissance authors. But yeah, he would be my star author for sure. For sure. Um, and I believe at the uh, National Museum for African American History and Culture, some of his poems are actually on the wall. So it's oh, really wow. nice. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to visit. Not, but not when yet. you get the chance to visit, you're going to enjoy it because your favorite, your favorite poet is <laughs> on the walls. Literally. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful sight to see. Um, I recommend every person that could ever go, please mm-hmm. go at least one time. It is an experience. However, mm-hmm. I will say that when you do go, maybe make it a vacation type thing so you can go over a course of a couple of days because oh, yeah. it's very vast space and it's full of so much information. You're mm-hmm. going to need more than one visit to get through that. I know, I know. I, I Since I just came back from New Orleans at, from a family reunion, mm-hmm. one of my cousins is featured in one of the civil rights exhibits. Oh. Um, she was a freedom writer. Um, and so, you know, just to interact with her and hear her stories and her saying, oh yeah, don't forget, you need to go to the museum because you know I'm there. And I'm like, oh, what? So yeah, now I do really need to make a trip so I can see that exhibit as well. That's really awesome. That's so dope. Like, oh my goodness. I don't know what I would do if I show up in that museum. I would just be too outdone with myself. I would, you know, I'd just be a puddle for real because that's so awesome. And to be a part of history and to mm-hmm. be like solidified in history, that's, oof, 
That's amazing. Yeah. And, and and congratulations to her. And also thank you to her for yeah. all of the things that she's done. She made history literally helping us um, in times that were very tough. I mean, yeah. it's still tough times here in America, but during that time period, it was so necessary. And mm-hmm. so I really appreciate it. So you yeah. said that you've been a librarian now for over 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. So, and you said you've been in your current position as an associate director for the last six months. So talk mm-hmm. to me a little bit about your journey to getting to that position. Like, where did you come from? How, where did you, when did you start? What school you went to? If you want to share that information, I would love to hear about it. Um, you know, I, my career kind of starts backwards because okay. uh, I actually started as a volunteer um, and I, well, let's see, I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I volunteered, you know, during the summer and then my senior year in high school, I got hired as a library page for the Riverside, um, city county public library system. So I was a page for oh, about four years and then promoted to a library clerk. Um, I worked in the city of Moreno Valley there as a clerk and um, had a couple different positions with circulation supervisor, um, did a lot of collection development, circulation. Um, and then the opportunity came where we had some changes in our system and I transferred to another branch and was the assistant to our literacy coordinator, our adult literacy coordinator. So I learned a lot about recruiting volunteers and training volunteers and doing more outreach. Um, And when the coordinator left to go to San Francisco, I was hired as the adult literacy coordinator for the entire county of Riverside, um, which Riverside County geographically is one of the largest counties in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, It's huge and goes all the way to the state line um, to Arizona. And in that position, um, I just had so many different opportunities. So in addition to doing just the day-to-day tasks, uh, recruiting and training volunteers, I got to do a lot of public speaking with um, community groups and developing partnerships, um, got more active in the California Library Association, doing networking, conference presentations, And I'm like, this is like amazing. And um, finished my bachelor's degree in business management and was ready to get a master's in adult education. Cause I thought, oh, you know, maybe I should go teach and do, you know, adult education. And then a position came up for a branch manager position in the library I was working at. And I'm like, I could do that job. And so I, promoted to that position and I had to switch gears on what school I was going to go to because then I had to go to library school and so I went to Drexel University which is in Pennsylvania yeah um did that program online took me four years um it was extremely hard (laughs) working full-time managing a very very busy seven day a week open branch three kids single parent did it it was hard Um, and so I was in that position for 15 years up until last November. Okay. And, um, I, you know, just did so many amazing things in that manager position. Um, but then this position opened up and the director 
I don't know, I guess she was calling around and, you know, getting references about me and um, she interviewed me and I was offered the position. So here I am. I never thought I would be in an administrative position. It is a very different, I have a very different perspective now of what administrators do than my frontline doing the things that branch managers do, you know, putting out fires all the time. It's a different fire putting type of position, okay. putting out position. Okay. Yeah, you know what, it reminds me of, and I know everybody is not, you know, Christian, but it reminds me of a scripture that says, or a saying that always goes that your room, your sometimes your name be in rooms before you meet, you end up in there. It's yeah. a, a common little quote that we use. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> your journey. First off, to, to go through this journey of having to juggle being a single mom, career, and degree that is a lot hat off to you um the recent episode i just uh filmed was with someone else i was like you know what shout out to these single mothers that are mm -hmm. having to do this on their own it is not easy i i empathize i am compassionate all about it <laughs> i i'm like look y'all y'all the real mvps y'all literally are superheroes because that is a lot i can imagine that during that time um, and you, you mentioned that it did take you four years to complete the program, but the mm -hmm. fact that you finished, that's the, that's it. You yeah. finished and you completed, and it goes to show that your path might not always be just straightforward. You might have to stop. You might have to, you know, take a break, take a breather, relax, and then come back to it. But mm -hmm. then you're saying in the process of you getting your degree, you're also running a branch and you're getting your degree in that process. And I, I really want to emphasize that because you got into those positions before you even got the degree. And a lot of people, um, nowadays, a lot of uh, positions that you see in the library, they show up, but they say that you have the master, have to have the master degree component beforehand. And that mm -hmm. does kind of stray some people away, but uh, you did it the, like you said, kind of backwards. You did it the, the kind of the longer way but mm -hmm. you're saying that it's possible because yeah. I am seeing that a lot of different branches, particularly in California a lot, and some branches in Chicago, I like the fact that they are willing to hire librarians and then send them to school. Um, so right. did your um, did your your uh, system do that for you or was it just a decision you made on your own and paid out of pocket for yourself? Um, so California has a grant called the Public Library. Um, it's like a, a reimbursement grant. Okay. Um, and that 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 is you know that is your money. You you do the classes, you pay it ahead of time, of course, and then you get reimbursed. Um, and then the system I work for for also has a tuition reimbursement program as well. Now I was really lucky because. When I applied to Drexel, I didn't have to take the GRE, but I had to talk to the dean um, and they were able to credit my experience for four classes. Wow. That's We're talking almost $10,000 yeah. worth of classes that I didn't have to take because of my experience. Wow. And they were at that time, this would have been 2006, they were really trying to recruit and get more students in California because there weren't that many students in California that were 
going through the Drexel program. They were one of the iSchools throughout the country. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I got to know the administrators. Um, I didn't get, get to go back to the campus until, I didn't go to graduation, um, way after I finished. And, but I did get to meet some of my professors, which was kind of cool. Okay. Um, and this was way before video conferencing. And, you know, so there was none of that. So I, I only got to meet two other students the whole time I was there wow. in person who were here in California. Okay. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, but my experience did pay off in the coursework. Um, imagine taking cataloging in an online class was just daunting. Um, group projects, you know, I'm here, I'm in California, majority of the students were in Pennsylvania. And so group projects was a challenge as well. Um, but, you know, I never stopped and didn't take a break. I, I literally went straight through. My last quarter was summer of 2009, and I just did not want to go to fall semester, and I had to cram three classes that summer. It killed me, but I just had to do it, and um, I'm, I'm the perseverer and the push-through person. I'm very persistent, and it, it's funny because I'm also an AKA, and my line name is Persistent, so and I just I just had to get it done and you know my kids now realize the importance of, of finishing that degree um, they're all adults now and uh, one's a college graduate one's getting ready to start nursing school and one is in the military so um, I'm, I'm really proud that you know I was able to set that example Mm -hmm. And they recognize now as adults, like, wow, mom, like really did that. Mm -hmm. um, there is no excuse for us to be mm -hmm. able to push through mm -hmm. and accomplish the things that we want to accomplish career wise. So, yeah, yeah, I, I just, whoo, <laughs> um, my, uh, my, I have a similar story. My grandmother, uh, when she was younger in her, in the age that I am now, I'm currently 30, 31. But around this time, my grandmother was just either just fresh out of a, a marriage or she was in a process in having, she's about three kids and um, mm -hmm. so she was living life, literally living life. She was, she had started off going to school when she was a little younger, but she had early, she was married and then she was having children. So it was mm -hmm. a little, you know, life got in the way for her to finish her college degree. And I remember when my grandmother first decided to go back to school. And I was in middle school when she decided to go back to school. Now, keep in mind, she has really grown adult children. I'm her grandchild, so I'm her son's child. And mm -hmm. it took her till I was in middle school, so roughly around maybe 11 or the, between 11 and 13 years of mm -hmm. age is when she decides to go back to school. She was my primary parent, so she was the person that raised me. Um, and so she decides to go back to school. She's pretty much a full-time mom all over again she's an entrepreneur because she's a pastor so she's taking care of a church and a congregation um and then she decides okay I want to go back and finish school so while I'm in school my grandmother is also in school she went wow. to, she went yes she went and got her I think she started off with her either her associate's or bachelor's degree mm -hmm. so she went and got her bachelor's degree and then she was like, okay, I think I'm gonna keep going. She went mm -hmm. and got her master's degree. So all while I'm going through, literally going through middle school and high school, my grandmother is getting these degrees. Mm -hmm. And so then 
eventually got to the point where we're in college together. So I'm in undergrad. Yes, it's super cool. So I'm in undergrad and she's going to her school as well. Now she's working on a doctorate program. So she's just going, going, going. And so she's she graduates and it gets to the point where she's about to graduate from her doctorate program. And she has two doctorate degrees. So she ended up getting two doctorates at the same time, which I don't know how she did that. But I was also motivated to get some dual degrees as well along the way. But she's about to graduate from her doctorate degree program. And I believe I was like maybe my freshman or sophomore year in college when this was about to happen. She wanted all of her grandkids to be there. And Mm -hmm. her goal was to say, it was basically showing us it's never too late. Mm-hmm. If I can do this while having all of these other life things going on, you mm-hmm. have no excuse. No. And she's basically like, if I got a doctorate degree, then mm-hmm. at least at minimum, you should also do the same thing. I don't have my doctorate degree yet. I do plan to get one, but she was just like, I did it. I, mm-hmm. I, I made no excuses. Life did get in the way, yeah. but at 50 something years old, she went back to school and now she has four degrees under her belt on top of still meant, still in full-time ministry, still doing all of these things. So I definitely understand and appreciate the value of seeing your, uh, your parent do this thing. And you like, well, <laughs> ain't no point of me making no excuse because if, if not the person that has to literally rear me and raise me can do these things. I ain't got no excuses for why I can't go above and beyond. And so that has always been a motivating factor for me, just thinking about the fact that I I watched her and I even watched, you know, her her thesis become a curriculum in the very school that she that she um, graduated from. And I'm like, ma'am, <laughs> like how are you talk about some keep the bar and raise it higher how we gonna catch up we gotta catch up first yeah real oh my gosh wow yeah Yeah. and so i i definitely am in the same boat as your children in in that regard and i like i said i am just in awe of the fact that you said you made it clear like you didn't even stop you know most people would have taken the break you were like nah i'm gonna keep going i'm gonna get this done and yeah. you did. And I'm like, girl, what? <laughs> From, yeah, I, there was, I mean, and I, it never, it never crossed my mind to quit. It just never, that just wasn't an option. It just, for me, it just wasn't an option. And a couple of my friends were in school at the same time. And they're like, I can't do this, Tracy. I just can't. I just don't have your drive. Mm-hmm. I don't have your motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, both my parents went to college. My dad was um, career military. So I just grew up in a really strict yeah. household. Um, my grandfather was pastor of the church I grew up in. He had his, his PhD. And um, I, I've actually applied for a research fellowship okay. um, with the state of Mississippi's um, in their archives department to do a research project about his, um, when he got his PhD and his undergraduate degree at Jackson State. Before okay. Jackson State became Jackson State, it was a seminary school. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping if I get selected for this fellowship that I can, you know, do a little bit more research about him because I want to write a book about him. And um, so, you know, education has just always been 
you know, in the forefront of our family. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of my kids. My daughter graduated from University of California, Riverside. Um, she's gonna go back and get her master's degree. So this inspired my two sisters to get their nursing degrees. One just finished her PhD. Oh, wow. um, the other one did her associate's degree. So, you know, I guess it's just kind of a family, I'm the family example, you can do yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah, I understand being an example as well. I have a story similar to that too. Like when I was an undergrad, my mom, because my mom and my dad, I was actually ended up being first gen because they didn't go to college. Mm -hmm. um, and then my mom decided to go back to school in the process of me also going to school. And I think we literally graduated. I graduated from my bachelor's degree. She graduated with her first associate's degree like two weeks after me. And so it was really... Yeah, it was just like a really amazing experience to see my mom go back to school and be dedicated and be inspired to say, oh, well, if my child can do this, I have time to now go back and, and do better for myself and do what I enjoy. And I was so proud of her to graduate and to say, yeah, you know, hey, I got this done. It was amazing. Well, yes. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I, I completely, I understand that as well, being the person for people, being a motivating factor for people to say, I won't be a crab in the barrel. Like, I can do this. I will do this. And your sisters are just phenomenal. Come on, doctors. Listen, yeah. I can't wait to, to, to uh, for the people to say, for me to be in the same room with my grandmother and somebody say, Dr. Long, and I could turn around too and be like, which one? <laughs> I can't wait to be like, which one are you talking to? Because it's two of us now. So I'm super excited about that. And um, I plan to go back. I just, you know, I have to make time. I really wanted to get some experience in the field. I also did my, my uh, master's degree online as well. I went to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. So I went oh, okay. to UC. And um, I finished my program in a year and a half, partly because I just really didn't want to be there that long and I didn't want to spend all that money, <laughs> but I get wanted it. to get uh, get the degree. And so I did it online and I was doing the era of where the video, where we actually physically had to be on video and do. So it, it was definitely improved by the time I went through my program. I went through from 2015 to 2016. Oh, and okay. um, so, yeah, we had like virtual classrooms. It wasn't mm -hmm. even just a traditional online class where you get modules and stuff. No, uh -huh. we had to be there <laughs> online and be present. <laughs> they was not playing with us. So it was that was a little bit of a struggle trying to work and also navigate class schedules. And at the time I was only working part time. But mm -hmm. even with that part time schedule, it was still a little bit of a struggle trying to figure out how to schedule classes and be present like that's a lot to ask of somebody when right. they're trying to also live life <laughs> yeah totally I I just you know I'm just glad that that was an option uh, majority of people in California go to San Jose State okay yeah degree or um, but now USC and UCLA have their programs um, UCLA is a um, in-person program it's not online um, USC's, I think, is online. And then, it's, of course, San Jose is also online. But mm. my director at the time, she said, oh, you know, we want somebody to go somewhere different. Um, so it was either Drexel or University of North Texas. Okay. 
they had a small cohort and they were starting to recruit a little bit more in California. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was very active in the California Library Association. We had a student roundtable and I was the first president of the student roundtable. And so one of the students, I think she was going to be a, no, she was a transfer student. Mm -hmm. She went to Pasadena City College. She was in the UNT program. She now works for Chicago Public Library, but I don't remember what branch she's at, mm -hmm. um, but we still stay in touch. And she said, she's so glad she left California to go to Chicago and, and work in Chicago. I, I'm like, I'm super jealous, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's, you know, I'm, I'm just happy. Like, that's what I'm saying. I'm just happy to see more of us in the field and getting mm -hmm. out there and, you know, trying our best to, to make something work. Um, I do have a question though. Because, you know, library field, it's often sometimes a second career for a lot of people. It's not always everybody's first choice. For me, technically, it was my first choice. Um, and I did not have to take, I remember you mentioned about the GRE. I did not have to take the GRE to get into my library program. I actually didn't know that there were library programs that required the GRE. So that's good to know as well. But I did wow. not have to take it. But like I said, the library program was pr probably one of my first choices. It was my decision between either social work or librarianship. And I was like, I really don't want to be a social worker. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really don't want to give my time in that way. And that's just at the time and the headspace that I was in. I'm like, that could be more draining than what I would like for it to be. So, mm -hmm. but I do love helping people and I do like the component of helping people. So maybe I've always been worked with books. I've all my jobs have been in bookstores or surrounding books or, or helping people with technology. Everything that I've done literally has equipped me to be this librarian that I eventually became. Right. But mm -hmm. for you, did you always want to be a librarian or was this like a career choice or career change for you? Um. Originally, I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an elementary teacher. said that. And um, one, of my, one of my really good friends, her older sister, had just graduated from her degree and was getting her first uh, teaching job. And I, I remember we were having a conversation. I go, oh, you know, I want to be a teacher. And she said, oh, no. No, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You're, you're not going to make any money. You're, it's just It's a lot of work. You're out of pocket all the time. And that just, I was still in high school, so I hadn't made a decision yet, mm -hmm. but I was already working at the library. So, um, you know, I figured after being a paraprofessional for a long time, like, what am I like waiting for? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just had some really, really good mentors early before I considered becoming a librarian. Mm -hmm. um, again, the church I grew up in, we had a, a library at the church mm -hmm. and we actually had a librarian who, wow. yes. And I, I don't even think I really knew this um, until later. She was actually director for a very large system here in California. And she actually, <laughs> yeah, you won't even believe this because I, when I think about it, it's just hilarious. When I was 13, she asked me if I wanted to go to a conference and I go for librarians and she said yeah of course so I got to go to the California Library Association wow. at 13 with her I you know I'm out on the exhibit floor I got to go to these work not knowing having any clue what and where the heck I was at wow and, and it's so funny because as much as I've been to Sacramento 
and conference was in Sacramento this year in June, you know, that just all came back to me. Just this was meant for me to be in this profession Mm -hmm. and um, having again, presented so much at CLA and doing some contract work for the state library with literacy, um, you know, and then I was on the board for California library association. So that did come full circle for me. Um, so it, you know, it was probably already my destiny to become a librarian. I just hadn't owned it. Yeah. Um, so it probably was originally my first profession. Yeah. I changed at all. <laughs> yeah. You were nurtured into becoming a I, librarian. Yeah. <laughs> you, had a, you had a whole influence, which is great. So, um, growing up, which brings up a good question. Growing up, did you, um, see librarians that look like you people of color librarians of color that look like you um that kind of helped solidify that decision or were you more no no on the of that there were two um so I actually used to volunteer in the children's room when I was before I was a teenager mm-hmm. and the children's librarian was African-American okay. she was this tall striking and you know she was just amazing and she, her story times were just, I'm like, wow. She was the first black librarian that I encountered. Mm-hmm. And then when I started working in the library, one of the administrators, she was like a district regional librarian, um, was the only black administrator in our system. Wow. And, you know, I, I didn't really get to know her that well. And then when she retired, I contacted her and she was a retired director by then and my former director and we had lunch together and um she 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 walked in my office and she's crying and she said I am just so proud of you she said I knew you were going to become a librarian we never talked about it but you just had that passion for a librarian and I and I told her I said you know I always looked up to you I just watched you I saw how you interacted professionally in an administrative position and how strategic she had to be to deal with the situations that she just there's some stuff that she just wouldn't share with me but I'm, I'm sure now we probably really could have a conversation right um you know when she left Riverside she went to Pleasanton and she became director of the Pleasanton Library which is in Northern California and, you know, she, she just said, you know, I'm just really proud of you. You know, you've just done amazing things. Every now and then I'll get a message from her on Facebook. And she's like, I see you're still doing it. I said, I'm still there. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that was it, which was kind of disappointing. Even in my last position in a system with 37 branches, I kid you not, besides me and my immediate supervisor, we were the only two Black professional librarians in our system. Wow, actually, I'm not so. I'm, it's not surprising to me, but still, out of that many branches, you would think that there would be more people of color, which is um, which kind of like slides me into this next <laughs> because that is something that you know I feel like as a profession, and I can really get on my soapbox here, so I'm, I'm going to try not to. As a profession, I feel like that is a place that we're still trying to strengthen ourselves, because the library is built on it being a safe, inclusive, accessible, right. diverse, equitable space for all people. Right. In the profession, 
you don't really see that as much and you particularly don't see it in higher level positioning. Mm -hmm. So you might have, you know, people of color in paraprofessional positions, like being a chauffeur, a page, being, um, you know, maybe being a librarian, maybe being assistant or something like that, being an LTA, but you don't want, as you get further up, you don't really see a whole lot of us in those director positions, in those branch manager positions. Mm -hmm. And as I've been having conversations though, I've been getting into spaces where I'm getting um, acquainted with more African-Americans and more people of color, more black librarians who are managing and getting in those positions. And I'm like, how did you do it? (laughs) What's your story? Because, there is more of us on the lower levels than there are on the higher levels, but I'm happy to see that it is happening. But when I think about it, so a lot of these people are mostly based in California, which tends to be a more progressive state. Um, yeah, we are. <laughs> it tends to be more progressive, but mm-hmm. it's still like, okay, so what, what are the dynamics? How can we balance out these scales here? What are we, what do we need to change? So as a assistant director, um, what does building a diverse, accessible informational space look like and mean to you? What does that look like? That is like an awesome question because where I am currently working in Upland, California, which is between, we're probably 30 miles from LA. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very conservative community. Um, there's about 75,000 people in the city of Upland. And that was one of the reasons I was hired actually into this position was to bring more diversity, reaching the people that we really need to reach. Mm -hmm. Um, There's never been really any cultural programming here. And I had to change that. I mean, because I I was just determined that that was gonna change. Mm -hmm. So I was able to do a genealogy program in February with my cousin who works for Ancestry. She's a professional genealogist, our family historian. Um, So she did this Zoom presentation just on researching your African-American heritage. And we had a great turnout. It was a hybrid program, partial Zoom, partial in-person. And that also resulted in a program she did in June for Juneteenth. And in April, this library really hasn't reached out to the Hispanic community because I guess there's been the impression that they don't use this library. And that was evident looking at the collections, the children's collection and the adult collection, which was just, I was just horrified, horrified. And, you know, professionally, I'm like, there's, there's no developing of this collection at all. Mm-hmm. So we did a big Day of the Child, Day of the Book event, Dia de los Niños, Dia de los Libros. And there had never been any advertising or outreach to the schools. Wow. And I'm like, what? That is like a no-brainer. That's like my first step in when I'm planning programs. Yeah. And it's a small district. There's um, less than 5,000 students in the school district here. So I sent this flyer out to all of the elementary schools, middle and high schools. And we had this event, we had over 250 people came, it was insane. 
And I asked my director, I said, you know, we need to revamp these collections because these are just terrible. Oh, Tracy, nobody checks them out. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to revamp the collection. We revamped the adult collection. We moved it to make it more visible. Um, and I was just looking at stats before I went on vacation. That collection has served 32% higher in six months since I revamped the collection. The children's Spanish collection is not visible. So I was able, at the end of the year, you know, Mad Dash spent all this money, ordered some new Spanish children's books, put them up on display. They're all checked out. Wow. All of them. And so I don't know. It's, um, I feel like I have to constantly, I don't want to say prove myself, mm -hmm. but remind staff you know, we need to be more inclusive. And, and we, we're, we're making steps towards that direction, but it is a real challenge, a, a real challenge. For me, it's a challenge um, because I know that these programs are gonna be successful. Yeah. And again, I'm the new kid on the block. So, you know, they're looking at me like, what, who, you know, who do you think you are? You know, we know our community and it's like, no, you don't. You don't know your community. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Because then in May, we did an Asian Pacific Islander Heritage Month event. 200 plus people show up. We had some parents who came and talked to me and another staff member who are Asian. And they said to both of us, thank you for recognizing our culture. My daughters got to interact and learn about other Asian cultures that they weren't aware of. And I'm like, what is, the, like, what is going on that we aren't seeing this? And so that is pushing me forward to mentor um, another black employee to, she's a paraprofessional on like getting her to recognize her ability. She does toddler story time and we're getting ready to launch thousand books before kindergarten in September. So tomorrow she is going to pitch to the friends of the library, her budget request. She's like, you're not doing it. I said, oh no, this is your program. I'm, I'm, I'm your coach. And guess what? She has decided to go back to school to get her library AA certificate. I am so proud of her. She's been here seven years, has not been promoted. Why has she not been promoted? Yeah. And guess what? Tuition reimbursement is going to pay for her, her certificate program. That's good. That's I and helped her fill out the application. She's starting in the fall. And, you know, she, she'll come to me and she's like, I am so glad you're here because I have not had that encouragement. I have not had another Black librarian ever tell me what I'm capable of doing. Wow. And, and it doesn't take a whole lot, you know, and it's not, anybody could have mentored her. I mean, obviously this just kind of makes it a little bit easier, but, you know, she, she's like, how do you make these partnerships and collaborations and get to know people in the community. You know, I've had her call the first five um, organization. We got 500 parent kits that we're gonna be giving out. We're working with WIC, with Head Start. Um, our, the site just went live, she just sent me an email and we're like ready to go with this program. And you know what? It is gonna blow the rest of the staff out of the water. I agree, I agree. So this is why it's so important. You said a mouthful. As you were talking, I was like, this is why it's so important for people who look like you to be in these spaces. 
And this is why diverse voices are needed and necessary. Like, you know, people talk about being the diversity hire and stuff like that. And sometimes that has a negative connotation. And I'm like, why not me? Why not? You know, I'm okay with being a diversity hire. If that means that I can get in and evoke change and can make things and to make people or help people see things from a different perspective and understanding then why not me? Like, you know, and so that is so important. You said something that was key and that's communicating. And that is seeing people, hearing people, motivating them to become and to do better, having Mm -hmm. conversations, sort of like what we're doing right now, talking to people. And um, that one moment and you literally taking her under your, under her, under your wing, and you're, you're saying like, I'm going to push you in a good way out yeah. of your comfort zone so that mm-hmm. you can be your best self. She's going to have those same stories like you, just yeah. like the librarian who took you to ALA at 13 yeah. and changed your, and you're now changing her life. You're literally paying it forward. And yeah. who knows, she might decide to go and get a master's degree in library science and become a librarian but I I just think that that is a beautiful thing and it doesn't say that she doesn't like what she's doing because clearly she enjoys what she's doing she's been working there for seven years but now she has some motivation to move forward and to want to move and be progressive but this is why people that look like us need to be in those spaces in order for them to to see and understand Mm -hmm. um and so that is just awesome I am so excited for you all I'm going to definitely try to make sure I be on the lookout for those programs (laughs) launching because I'm super excited about it because I think that that is a good thing. Um, So we're getting close to our hour, but I want to ask you a couple more questions that I feel like you would be in a great position to answer. Um, And one of the questions going back into people that look like us is what do you believe? I know I, I had my little bit of a rant, but what do you believe the profession could do better in terms of creating a DEI work environment and wanting to motivate people to be in the field of library science? Um, you know, I, I just had a conversation with a professor from University of Tennessee in Knoxville, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of touched on this. Um, and, you know, I, I told her, you know, I've been to JCLC, I've been to that conference before, I've been to the African American Librarians Conference, and that comes up a lot. Um, I don't think we advocate enough for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I was, I just kind of joked around with this professor and, and I said, hey, you know, how come we never do anything with the Ad Council? How come ALA doesn't, you know, or, you know, do anything with the Ad Council? How come we have no large campaign to recruit, you know, African-Americans or people of color. I know Reforma, they have the same issue as well. In, in California, you know, is, is a large Hispanic state. Um, I'm a member of our local chapter of Reforma. And this question comes up a lot. Um, I don't think we think we recruit well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I know our system doesn't and never has. And, I, and the question always gets thrown back to me, well, those people don't apply for jobs. And I'm like, well, you don't advertise to those people, whoever you're speaking of. Right. Um, and so, you know, we don't have an EDI or DEI component in our system 
at our library, but I've had a conversation with HR. I go, are you going to, are you going to start something? And I'm not the poster child. So um, <laughs> Hello. do not go there. I said, I will have a conversation with you from my experience, but you, you need to reach out, you know, in the larger pool of people of librarians, but good luck. Cause there's not a lot of librarians of color in our system. There just isn't. And I feel like, you know, and I agree with you that I you don't see advertisements for AFA or uh, library recruitment. And um, I do agree that advertising and marketing will be better. I think we do do a good job of trying to create, at least my for myself, I try my best anytime that I can hype up the library. And, and anytime somebody talks about being curious about possibly getting to the field, I'm mm -hmm. like, ooh. Okay, I hear yeah. you talking. I'm going to talk yeah. to you about my experience and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it's so, you know, it was definitely a culture shock for me, I think, when I became a professionally degree librarian, because coming from the other side of being a, a patron or a customer, you, you don't assume that you assume that the other side of being in the profession looks just like what it looks like to you as a customer, which is um, inclusive, diverse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and like you said, not all libraries, because there are some I've had, and I've had an incident where, you know, I was went in for an interview, and mm -hmm. the woman, I think, thought that I was going to be white, she did, mm -hmm. and because of my name, and mm -hmm. I guess because of my ability to um, eloquently present myself, she assumed mm -hmm. that I was going to be white, and right. when I showed up, she mm -hmm. was like, yo... <laughs> it was almost like who was this black girl walking up in here mm -hmm. and she just ever so graciously got me out the door in like 15 minutes and she basically said to me that in so many words that you know the patrons and the people that are at that library would not be receptive to me working there now whether or not it was true or that was just her own you know thing looking but those are examples of how why there are not many of us <laughs> and and because it's just like if you're not open to change and being inviting then no you know and right. I remember my boss at the time he was infuriated because I was an intern I was also an intern at the time mm -hmm. and I was trying to get into a librarian position and my boss he was furious because he was like who was that who said that and he was like what's her name I was like don't even let's not even worry about it because he was going to be on it I said, listen, lady, you really don't know. <laughs> you, you really don't know how quickly you could get reported and be out of here. You don't have a job either. But okay. <laughs> I, I was just like, you know, I'm going to give her grace and I'm going to let it go because I could understand. Because at the time, the, the, um, the organization that I was working for also did not have those things in place. And mm -hmm. so they did not scream diversity as well, but they are currently doing a really good job to, to rectify that situation. And they're very adamant and, and forward thinking about it. And so they're, they restructured their entire whole setup to, wow. to make room for that because they said, this is an area where we're not strong in. This is an area that we want to be better. And so mm -hmm. they have literally catapulted themselves into the forefront of creating a diverse space so that they can have better recruitment strategies and and i and i commend them for doing that because it takes courage oh yeah absolutely a lot of courage I mean, to just restructure your whole setup 
Now, if I was director here, things would be different, <laughs> but I'm not. And, um, you know, even it was very disappointing, even for Pride Month, we did nothing, nothing, no book displays, no programs, no social media, you know, and I'm like, well, how can we not do anything? And the response was, well, we are in Upland. Well, what does that even mean? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Are, are you, you know, is this your own personal bias? Are, are you think people are going to protest or something? Like, I mean, we have a very uh, diverse um, teen group and um, collection, and it was just, I was just shocked. Yeah. This is the first time I've worked at where nothing, nothing at all was done for Pride Month. They had never done a Black History program. And I don't know. And, and, it's, and it's funny because I got a little bit of pushback from the friends because I wanted my cousin to be here in person for Juneteenth. And meanwhile, children's summer reading program is ending this week. You know, there was a ton of money devoted to that program. But here you're, you're I'm asking for a plane ticket from Tennessee to California. And you're talking about somebody who's nationally known, who's been on TV, who knows her stuff. And I, I was really, I was really disappointed. I mean, and I thought, is this because of the, the subject matter of the program or, or what is it? Is it me? Um, and I, I did, I took it real personal. I was real petty about it. I'm not even <laughs> going to lie. And not because this was my family, but I just felt like, do they not value the importance of this program and that we're reaching some people? And I will tell you one person who did come to that program came up to me and she would take her mask off and apologize, had tears in her eyes. I go, what, what's wrong? You didn't like the program? She said, no, I, I thought it was amazing. I learned a lot. And I just want to apologize to you. I go, for what? I said, did the program make you feel uncomfortable? She said it did. And I said, guess what? It did its job. That's yes. what the program was exposed to do. <laughs> that made my day. <laughs> so. yes. that's what, and that's what libraries are supposed to do. They're supposed yeah. to challenge you in a way that helps you, forces you to think about just life differently. And, you know, I always say that a good library has at least one book in it that offends someone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what a good library looks like. So I just believe, you know, for as far as programming things and things of that nature, I think that those things are going to look up now because you're in that position and you're Mm -hmm. in that place and you are a part of you are a part of the future. And I think that things are going to change because you are there and you have the ability to invoke change and you're in a position to where you can make some better decisions. And I I really think that as you continue to like, I feel like as you expose people, and as you mm-hmm. continue to expose people to it, then it doesn't feel as daunting because mm-hmm. you keep seeing it and you keep creating it and you keep making right. it happen. So I, I, I'm definitely here for it and I'm advocating for you. <laughs> and I know people in, in, in areas that, in, that work in California branches all around you and always, you know, I'm sure they're open to networking and, and connecting and being able to do that. So please don't hesitate offline to to let me know or drop some ideas. I have some content ideas that I might be able to, you know, sing your way as well. Um, <laughs> because I, I, I think that it's just very important and, and you're, but you're proving it by having programming that's pulling out 200 plus people. So keep doing what you're doing and do it well. 
and 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 as it says as the saying goes you put it out there and the people will come and so as you continue to do it and continue to just have those ideas continue to make your programming they'll all come around soon enough yeah they will yeah definitely so listen i'm not i'm not concerned because (laughs) i'm concerned about what's gonna happen at upland because i believe that as long as you're there and whatever, however, for long you're going to be there, however long your season is there in that position, that things are going to change. Even when you're gone and whenever long you decide to stay there, well, whenever you decide to leave, when you're gone, your impact is going to be noteworthy um, from the time that you were there. So I'm super, super excited for what's to come, Miss Tracy. I want to thank you for being here. It has been a very heartwarming and enlightening conversation. Um, I don't know if you have any social media or if you would have a question. Okay, so please drop your socials, let people know where they can follow you and uh, keep in touch. I will, thank you so much. This has been awesome. It's been so fun. Uh, Thank you for coming. You all have a wonderful weekend. This has been Tracy Randolph. I'll see you back here soon. All right. Thank you.